Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is Lee Habib with Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your stories. Send them to Our American Stories. They're some of our favorites. Up next, we continue with our recurring series about the curious origins of everyday sayings. Here to join us again is Andrew Thompson as he continues to share another slice from his ultimate guide to understanding these mini-mysteries of the language we all speak. In the lap of the gods means a situation whose outcome is unclear and can't be influenced. Some say the expression began with the practice of leaving gifts of thanks with statues of gods. And whilst this has occurred for centuries, the phrase actually derives from the Iliad, Homer's text from the 8th century BC. 
In the story, Achilles battles the Trojans and kills Hector's brother, Polydorus. Hector sees this and challenges Achilles, brandishing a spear in his face. Hector says to Achilles, I know you are brave and stronger than me by far, but these things lie in the lap of the gods. Though I'm the weaker man, I'll take your life. Achilles survives and the Trojans are defeated. A last-ditch attempt is a final effort to solve a problem or avoid defeat, and it's a military term that dates to the late 17th century. King William III of England is credited with the expression during the Anglo-French War with the Dutch Republic. William was offered to be made Sovereign Prince of Holland if he would capitulate, but he refused, and an envoy of the Dutch King threatened that William would witness the end of his fate. William replied, There is one way to avoid this, to die defending it in the last ditch. The phrase was then picked up by the citizens of Westmoreland in the American War of Independence, when in 1798 they said, in war we know but one additional obligation, to die in the last ditch or uphold our nation. By the early 1800s the figure was being used figuratively. If someone's a laughing stock, they're an object of ridicule or humiliation. And that originated from the medieval form of punishment in England. Most villages had stocks set up in the public square and the stocks comprised two sliding boards with holes in them that were secured on a wooden frame. The hands and feet of the victim were placed in the holes, rendering him unable to escape or move freely. Petty criminals were put in the stocks so the town people could gather around laughing and humiliating the person, even throwing rotten vegetables at them. The phrase laughing stock had developed into its current use by the early 1500s. To lead someone up the garden path means to deceive them, and it's also sometimes set as down the garden path, and its origins started in the early 1900s in England. Country estates at the time usually had acres of gardens that contained trees, hedges and paths that would wind throughout. It was in the romantic parts of these gardens that gentlemen would traditionally propose to their sweetheart. Women knew this, so to be invited on a walk by a suitor was a positive sign and one they were often keen to accept. But it also wasn't uncommon for some men to lead a woman up the garden path not to propose marriage, but merely to try to seduce her. To leave high and dry means to be stranded without hope of recovery, and not surprisingly this expression relates to the world of sailing. It dates from the early 1800s and originally referred to a ship being run aground and unable to move. This left the ship exposed and vulnerable to attack, and the captain was rendered helpless until the tide came in. Its first written usage was in the Times newspaper in London in 1796, where it was said that a ship had gone aground when the tide had ebbed, left her nearly high and dry. To be left in the lurch means to be abandoned in an awkward or difficult situation, and its origins are with an old French board game called Lorch. It was played with dice and was similar to backgammon. If a player was left in a position from which they couldn't win, he suffered a Lorch, which was a disadvantage. This concept was then brought into the card game of cribbage, where if a player is trailing by a certain margin, he is said to be left in the lurch. To let the cat out of a bag means to give away a secret, and it dates from the early 16th century and derives from a time when unscrupulous market vendors sold false goods. One of their common deceptions was to substitute a worthless cat for a valuable pig. After showing a buyer the sought-after suckling pig, Negotiations on price would begin and the pig would be placed in a carry bag. At some point when the buyer was distracted, 
the pig would be replaced for a cat. It was only when the duped buyer got home that the fraud was revealed when he let the cat out of the bag. The expression lick it into shape means to mould something or someone to suit a situation. And it derives from the ancient Roman belief that animals were born formless and that their mothers had to lick them into the required shape. This belief is likely to have arisen because all mammals are born covered with a thick afterbirth, which can make them unrecognisable. The mother then licks that off and the properly formed animal appears. Bear cubs in particular are born in a seemingly shapeless form and receive a lot of attention from their mothers, so this would have also lent weight to the Romans' belief. If you say that someone is lily-livered, it means you think they are cowardly. It's often heard in Western movies. And it's an expression that we owe to the ancient Greeks, like many others. They believed that the liver was the organ that created blood and that a poorly functioning liver resulted in physical and mental weakness. In line with this belief, they thought that a pale, lily-coloured complexion indicated a cowardly person, while rosy cheeks would be found on a strong man in good health. The Greeks also had the custom of sacrificing an animal before each battle. They looked to the animal's liver as an omen. A liver full of blood was a good sign, but a pale liver did not augur well. It was the great bard Shakespeare that brought the phrase into the mainstream when he used it in his 1606 play Macbeth. The lion's share is the largest part of something, and it derives from one of Aesop's fables, which now bears that name. It tells the story of a lion, a wolf, and a fox, as well as an ass who kill a stag to eat. The bounty is divided into quarters to share equally, but before they start eating, the lion claims the first portion because he's the king of the jungle. He then claims the second portion because he's the strongest, and then the third portion because he is the most courageous. The other animals are left with the last quarter to eat, but they are too afraid to claim it with the lion standing over them. So depending on the version of the story, the lion's share is either three quarters or everything. And great job as always to Greg on the production and a special thanks to Andrew Thompson. Hair of the Dog to Paint the Town Red is the book. Go to Amazon.com and the usual suspects to buy it. Andrew Thompson, the stories of how our language came to be here on Our American Stories. Lee Habib here, the host of Our American Stories. Every day on this show, we're bringing inspiring stories from across this great country. Stories from our big cities and small towns. But we truly can't do this show without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love what you hear, go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Go to OurAmericanStories.com and give. And we continue with Our American Stories, and now we bring you the story of Game to Grow, a nonprofit that uses Dungeons and Dragons as a tool in therapy. Here to explain what they do are Adam Johns and Adam Davis. Um, as we talk to, to people kind of around the country, and especially people who are not not in the gaming or um, or kind of geek um, atmosphere or culture, oftentimes they assume Dungeons and Dragons is a video game. So here's, here's how I usually describe it. 
Um, there's one person who acts as the sort of head storyteller and referee of the game. And they know most of the rules and they can explain most of the rules to the game. And that person's usually referred to as the dungeon master or the game master. And they sit at the head of the table and they describe stuff that's happening in the world. And then everybody else who's sitting at the table um, is uh, just playing a character in that world, a single character. And they have a piece of paper that tells them things like how strong their character is or what kind of equipment they have or what kinds of abilities they have. And this all takes place in a fantasy world, much like Lord of the Rings, where there are swords and bow and arrow and uh, full suits of armor and, of course, magical spells. And the dungeon master might describe something like, all of you have uh, decided to venture into this dark cave where you can see that there are there's mildew growing on the walls, there's mold, um, and there is a um, dripping coming from the stalactites in the ceiling. You're here because you've heard of a tremendous treasure um, that apparently was lost in these caves a long time ago, and you've decided you're going to go after that treasure. Maybe even you have a map to help guide you through. And as you travel further down into the cave, it's very dark, um, but you can see that the walls have been carved out like somebody has carved them with man-made tools. And you travel deeper and deeper into this cave system until finally you open up into a, a large room. And in this large room, you can see um, across the way is a door on the other side of a very large gap. Um, and the gap seems to stretch very far down into the ground. But the thing that really catches your eye is that hanging above the gap, uh, clinging for dear life, appears to be a small gnome man. And he's uh, hanging from a rope. And he sees you as you walk in and he uh, shouts to you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy somebody finally showed up. Please help me. And at this point in time, uh, the dungeon master then says, what do you do? And all of the players at the table get to decide what their character does to sort of overcome this this challenge or this situation. So they might do all sorts of things. A uh, warrior character might um, leap across the pit and try to grab the gnome uh, to save him from, from falling down into the pit. A, um, a ranger or an archer character um, might shoot a bow with a, with a rope tied to it and tightrope walk across the, the pit and, and um, save the gnome that way. Or a wizard character who can cast magic spells might uh, use a magic spell that could pull the rope and get it swinging so the gnome might be able to jump off. And no matter what they do, they're going to do it together because all the players at the table are all working on a team together. They're not competing with each other. Instead, they are working cooperatively towards a common goal. And in this case, the common goal of the game is not the most points. It's not even to achieve a particular goal. Even in this case um, of the example I gave, you're not trying to get treasure. You're trying to tell a story. And that's one of the really brilliant things about um, games like Dungeons and Dragons is that the point of the game is to tell a story. And because that's really the goal of the game, because that's really the place that you're trying to get to, everybody at the table might have a different idea for what that story looks like, but they know they're all working towards that goal. Um, and that's what really turns it into a, a brilliant and amazing experience as the dungeon master continues to describe things in the world, continues to describe whether or not the players um, 
uh, attempts to to do those things are successful, um, and the players get to roll dice to help add randomness and and help determine the the outcomes of their action, and get to really have the most open-ended gaming experience you can possibly have, where they can decide and and try anything that comes to their minds in a very loose um, uh, rule system that allows you to be very flexible with the outcomes of it. A lot of game masters, to to my chagrin, um, I don't like the fact that they often see themselves as adversaries of the players. There's oftentimes an antagonistic relationship where the game master uh, sees themselves as needing to challenge, and there's like a ha-ha, your characters are going to die today because my monsters are going to be stronger than them. And we don't do anything like that. Um, our goal as game masters is very much to challenge the players, but also to keep them engaged and keep them excited. So we do that by challenging them the right amount, um, building on their ideas while they build on our space, um, on, on our ideas, because we are uh, we're co- co-creating and collaborating in this in this game where that's oftentimes uh, for many of our players the first time an adult has said, what do you care about? What do you want to do? So then the players now see an adult who is playing with them, really playing with them in a way that is very healing to a lot of a lot of participants, especially ours, who are identified at school as, as oftentimes being an outcast. People tell them what to do all the time, very rarely say, what do you care about? What is something that you want out of life? And so this is an opportunity where they can push boundaries and see what happens when they take up space and then have an adult be excited about the choices that they're making. We started doing what we're doing right now using Dungeons and Dragons in therapeutic social skills groups largely by accident. Adam and I both started playing Dungeons and Dragons when we were pretty young. Uh, Got a lot out of it. We played games with our friends. We got to use all the uh, all the mechanics of the games and the storytelling of the game to really get a lot of social outlet when we were kids. I, Adam Davis, was um, studying drama therapy because I had wanted to use the, the drama games and experiences that I had had as a performer and then as a drama teacher to help kids, um, help kids become more into themselves and learn about themselves and, and how they could interact with the world better. And so Adam and I met in grad school and I started picking up um, an after school program that was a Dungeons and Dragons program for quirky kids who needed a little uh, little guidance and social support. And I took the game over and realized that Dungeons and Dragons is actually a, a perfect uh, modality for sit-down drama therapy. So we uh, started using the game a little more intentionally and then um, just barely scratching the surface. And then when... Um, my facilitator at the time left to go pursue other interests. There was an opening and I knew Adam from grad school. So we had kind of like done that thing where we uh, we, we brought uh, some things from our personal lives as sort of a get to know you activity in the very beginning of the quarter and both Adam and I brought dice. We knew from across the room that we were both named Adam. We both liked dice and games and so we knew we were kindred spirits. Uh, so um, we, we had that great moment, that sort of nerd nod <laughs> uh, from from across the room, um, and then uh, after the class, uh, Adam Davis came up to me and he said, "Hey, do you want to get paid to come and play improv games in Dungeons and Dragons?" And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds <laughs> that sounds like the best." Um, and at the time, the group was really just a, a sort of uh, drop-in social group. Um, and then when we came in, we started saying, "There's a lot we can do with this." 
And we were both in a state of uh, sort of master's program um, desire to to want to use all the amazing theories and all the amazing stuff that we were learning. And we um, really had this tremendous opportunity to start diving in saying, oh my gosh, we're this this is exactly what we can be using all of these amazing theories all these amazing things that we're learning and we can apply them right here but through the game of dungeons and dragons that we grew up playing and when we return we're going to hear more from adam johns and adam davis game to grow and my goodness i never thought of anything like this before but by the way people who naysay and talk down so many of the games that young boys and girls play, I don't think see the virtues of a lot of these games and a lot of the social skills that can be learned playing them, and particularly Dungeons and Dragons because of its creative space. So when we come back, more of this story, Adam John's story and Adam Davis's story, their story here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. This is it. 
your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories and the story of Game to Grow. And by the way, they hail from Kirkland, Washington. And now back to the story of Adam Davis and Adam Johns and how one of their childhood treasures turned into a grad school exercise and ultimately a full-time occupation in therapy. We got our first group going. The parents saw the outcomes. The parents started talking to other parents, inviting us to speak at other engagements. And then all of a sudden, the, the ball started to roll. And then before we knew it, we have continued to grow. And we are now full-time therapeutic game masters and executive directors of Game to Grow. We have a, a sort of a, a theory at Game to Grow where players play the characters that they need to play. So we have a lot of players who, like I said, are socially isolated, who don't have a lot of social aptitude, and they don't really have a lot of experience being charismatic or confident, but they pick characters who are aspirational. A lot of players come in and they, they pick characters who are military leaders, who have on their character sheet that they are very charismatic, that people believe in them. And so we know right away that that's something that, the, that these young people want to, want to play with and want to explore. Um, we have players that come in choosing to play characters that are very similar to themselves, lone wolves who are very isolated in the game. And then we can help that character grow and thus the player grow. And that lone wolf character who wants to go off and solve every problem by themselves, now we put them in a situation in the game where their character needs to rely on somebody else because Dungeons & Dragons is a fellowship game. It's a game where every character has a unique and special ability that, that makes them special. And that's a great life lesson, is that you can't do everything by yourself. And people are gonna rely on you and you are going to rely on people. And here's what that looks like to ask for help. And here's how good it feels to be able to be the person who can step up and help out the team. 
in one particular instance uh, where a player really made a choice that I was not expecting. Um, the characters had all made their way through this dungeon, and they came up into a room where there was, um, on in one corner of the room, a massive troll of legend uh, who had been imprisoned there. And in the other corner of the room was a series of three unlabeled switches. And uh, across the other side of the room was a metal door that was closed. And it quickly was explained to the players that um, one of the three unlabeled switches would open the door on the other side of the room, allowing them to progress further into their dungeon. Um, and the other two switches, when pulled together, would release the, the massive troll of legend upon the players, but also upon the world itself. And usually how this works is that it's sort of a, um, an interesting uh, challenge where the players can talk to the troll, they can figure out, uh, is the troll lying to us about which switch is which? And, and it's sort of a mix of a puzzle and a social challenge. In this case, we had one player who uh, had just joined the group, and the player had described their character as being impulsive and having um, a lot of uh, hyperactivity. And it was an appropriate character for that player to play because <laughs> that player also struggled with those exact same challenges. And that player said, um, I run across the room and I pull all three switches at once. And I've run that scenario several times. That was the first time anybody had ever just decided to pull all three switches. So all of a sudden I had to decide, okay, well, what, what's going to happen here? And what are the consequences of, of effectively just running ahead? And all the other players at the table had gotten out like graph paper and they were getting ready to like solve the puzzle. And they just stood and stared slack-jawed at their teammate who, who might have just done them all in. And what I said was the troll runs across the room and he picks up uh, the impulsive player's character, getting ready to eat them whole. And all the other characters, I said, you're, you're, you're the players at the table, I said, you, you can leave now. The door is open. Uh, but if you leave, you'll be leaving your teammate to be eaten by this, this massive troll of legend. And you'll also be leaving the troll to, to wreak havoc upon the world. You need to decide what your characters would do here. They are heroes in this world. What would they do? And they turned and they debated it with each other and they eventually decided that they would help their teammate. And so they enticed the troll back into the, the cage um, and re-imprisoned the troll. And at the end of that session, we always do a checkout at the end of every session. At the end of that session, there um, the players all checked out with each other and the impulsive player said, I'm really glad that you guys helped me out there because my character is really impulsive and it's clear that they're going to have to learn how to be less impulsive. And I'm hoping that your characters will help teach them that. And one of the other players at the table also said in the checkout, I'm super glad that you did that because we're all here to basically learn how to navigate this space, how to learn these skills and be better at this. And your character doing that helped make me feel like, like I really belong here. I'm, I struggle with some of the same challenges, and it helped me feel like I belong. And it was an amazing moment for them to realize that they're all in a similar place, and they've all struggled to make friends, to connect with people. Um, and this is a place where that doesn't matter, where they can all get along and where they can m maybe have missteps but they can feel a sense of acceptance here. Part of our mission is to get more games into more communities around the country and around the world. We have traveled and we've done presentations and trainings for therapists who want to get involved. So 
What we've seen is that a lot of therapists don't have a lot of experience with role-playing games. And then the big barrier to entry, they, they hear the stories, they get excited, they want to participate in this emerging uh, intervention strategy, but they've, they're under-experienced in a game like Dungeons & Dragons. So one of our missions is to create a product that they can then take and it'll help them get started much faster. This project is called Critical Core. It is a beginner box for therapeutic game masters to start helping their participants almost right out of the box. So it's got a really simplified rule set. It's got a facilitator's guide for how to facilitate the game to be a positive pro-social environment with all the improv and all the stuff that we have added on as uh, incorporating the play therapy and drama therapy that we have into our game. But then also it's got a very specific module design where the storylines are directly related to a real-world areas of social growth. So we might have the room that fills up with lava, and that's a way to build frustration tolerance. Or the players have to go and get past a guard, and that guard might have a slightly downturned mouth that looks like a frown, and then we can work on theory of mind skills and perspective taking, where now we can talk about uh, nonverbal social cues and the fact that that guard being sad or upset has nothing to do with you. You have no idea why he's making that facial expression, but in order to get past the guard into the next room in the dungeon or in the castle, we have to be able to relate to him, understand him, and communicate with him. So the, those three components going into Critical Core, uh, I think, will really be how we can get this project out there. We, like Microsoft's vision of a computer on every desk, we want a game on every desk, a game in every school a game in every hospital, a game in every clinic and therapist's office. Uh, that is our mission. So we don't want people to just game more. We want people to game better. Don't just game. Game to grow. And what an interesting story. At first, when I was reading about it, I thought, why should I care? But as so often happens here on this show, you start to hear the story and you go, my goodness, what an interesting way to do therapy. Therapeutic Game Masters. And it just, well, it makes sense. And we've been telling Adam Johns and Adam Davis's story. Great job on this, Robbie. Robbie just sort of bumped into it. These guys are in Kirkland, Washington. And we love to tell stories from all over this great country. Big ones, small ones. Again, Adam Johns and Adam Davis. Game to grow. And I love what they said. Don't just game more. Game better. This is Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we continue here with Our American Stories, and we love telling stories from the great American literature canon. You've probably read Walt Whitman, or at least you were supposed to in your high school English class. But even if you've heard of Leaves of Grass, you've probably never heard this tale that Hillsdale College professor Kelly Franklin brings us. It was winter in 1862, and Americans were fighting our nation's civil war. In mid-December, the Union suffered a disaster at the Battle of Fredericksburg, Virginia. The entrenched Confederates cut down wave after wave of Union soldiers, leaving the Northern Army with 13,000 casualties, more than double those of the Southern defenders. From the Union standpoint, things looked pretty bleak for the formerly United States of America. 
News of the casualties hit the papers right away, and on December 16th, the American writer Walt Whitman learned that his brother George had been wounded at Fredericksburg. With no other information, Whitman set out to find his brother. He searched the hospitals in D.C. with no luck until a friend lent him money and got him a pass to the front, where George, if he were still alive, might be found. Then, in Falmouth, Virginia, Whitman located his brother safe and sound with only a minor wound to his face. But Whitman also saw something else, something he never forgot. Outside a field hospital, Whitman saw a heap of amputated limbs, enough to fill a one-horse cart. Horrified, he wrote in his diary. At the foot of a tree, immediately in front, a heap of feet, legs, arms, and human fragments, cut, bloody, black and blue, swelled and sickening. By 1862, Walt Whitman had already achieved some fame and some notoriety as a poet that celebrated the human body. I am the poet of the body. He had written in his 1855 book, Leaves of Grass. And I am the poet of the soul. The man's body is sacred and the woman's body is sacred. But in that grisly moment outside the field hospital, Whitman got his first real glimpse of the human cost of the Civil War. It wasn't long before he knew what he wanted to do about it. In January of 1863, Whitman returned to Washington, D.C., where he began perhaps the greatest undertaking of his life. While the war raged on, Whitman threw himself into the task of visiting the sick and wounded men, both Northerners and Southerners, who languished in the Civil War hospitals. The Union already had many doctors and nurses, but Whitman intuitively knew that people need more than medical treatment to get well. Companionship, comfort, morale boosting, even a kind word. And as a volunteer, Whitman could provide that to the soldiers. He worked a part-time job in the mornings and spent the afternoons and evenings in the hospitals. He talked with the men, sat with them. He brought a satchel full of little gifts, candy, clothes, fruit, money, tobacco, stamps, and paper for writing letters. When the weather was hot, he brought them ice cream. While in the hospitals, Whitman wrote down the names and descriptions of the soldiers in his notebooks, along with anything special they asked for. Henry Benton, Company E, 7th Ohio Volunteer, Ward K, Bed 44. Wants a little jelly and an orange. Wounded last Sunday at Chancellorsville in leg. I saw the bullet and a piece of the bone. Stout hardy Ohio boy. Henry Eberly, Bed 8, Ward K, Company H, 28th Pennsylvania Volunteers. Wants a German prayer book. Wounded in the left shoulder pretty bad. Not all of his visits were cheerful. Of a man named Hiram Johnson from the 157th New York Volunteers, Whitman wrote in his notebook, This is the bed of death. Although he supported the Union, Whitman left the politics of the war outside the hospital doors and treated the wounded equally. In his memoir of the Civil War, Whitman later described taking care of a 19-year-old boy from Baltimore whose right leg had been amputated. He writes, as I was lingering, soothing him in his pain, he says to me suddenly, I hardly think you know who I am. I don't wish to impose upon you. I am a rebel soldier. I said I did not know that, but it made no difference. Visiting him daily for about two weeks after that while he lived, death had marked him and he was quite alone. 
Many of these Civil War soldiers died far from family and home. Some of them even died unknown and unidentified. It was the era before dog tags and DNA testing. In March of 1864, Whitman described one of these cases in a letter to his mother. Whitman wrote of the arrival of a train carrying sick and wounded soldiers. Mother, it was a dreadful night, pretty dark, the wind gusty, and the rain fell in torrents. One poor boy, he seemed to me quite young, he was quite small. He groaned some as the stretcher bearers were carrying him along, and again as they carried him through the hospital gate. They set down the stretcher and examined him, and the poor boy was dead. The doctor came immediately, but it was all of no use. The worst of it is, too, that he is entirely unknown. There was nothing on his clothes or anyone with him to identify him, and he is altogether unknown. Mother, it is enough to rack one's heart such things. Very likely his folks will never know in the world what has become of him. And many men died unknown in the war. Many were hastily buried or lost altogether in the chaos and aftermath of battle. This meant that families and friends were denied many of the rituals of grief. But Walt Whitman was also at the height of his career as a poet, and during the war he would write poems of grief and mourning that would help him and the nation express those terrible losses. Walt Whitman had worked with words and language for most of his life. Born on Long Island, he supported himself from a very young age, working at a printing shop, in a law office, and as a teacher. But he soon found his way to authorship, writing journalism, conventional poems, and fiction. Then, in 1855, Whitman published his experimental book, Leaves of Grass, which violated all the current norms of poetry and celebrated the full range of human life, from democracy to sexuality, writing in powerful free verse about the body, the soul, nature, and city life, and the labors of working class men and women. But now, Whitman had a war to write about, and at the end of it, he published a book of war poems called Drum Taps. In one of his best poems, Vigil Strange, I Kept on the Field One Night, Whitman recreates an imaginary moment of grief and burial for the fallen dead. The poetic speaker describes seeing a young soldier struck down in the heat of battle. Unable to stop for the conflict rages on around them, the narrator charges ahead, but returns that night to keep vigil for a boy he calls both son and comrade. Long there and then in vigil I stood, dimly around me the battlefield spreading, vigil wondrous and vigil sweet there in the fragrant silent night. The speaker stays with the body all night. Till at latest lingering of the night, indeed just as the dawn appeared, my comrade I wrapped in his blanket enveloped well his form folded the blanket well, tucking it carefully overhead and carefully under feet. And there and then, and bathed by the rising sun, my son in his grave, in his rude grave, I deposited. Ending my vigil strange with that, vigil of night and battlefield dim, vigil for boy of responding kisses, never again on earth responding. Vigil for comrades swiftly slain, vigil I never forget how as day brightened, I rose from the chill ground and folded my soldier well in his blanket, and buried him where he fell. 
Like in most of his poems, the soldier remains nameless, which means that he could be anyone, known or unknown, Yankee or rebel, any of the more than 600,000 men who perished in the war. Whitman continued to visit the hospitals on and off throughout the war. He once estimated that he had visited somewhere between 80,000 and 100,000 soldiers. He also wrote that, after his time in the hospitals, the pages of his notebooks were actually stained with soldiers' blood. Walt Whitman would have a long and fruitful life and career as a writer, right up to his death in 1892. But he always thought about his hospital years as something central to his life. Those three years I consider the greatest privilege and satisfaction, and of course the most profound lesson of my life. Those years of hospital visits represent a tremendous act of service to his fellow Americans during a time of war. While we tend to remember him as one of America's great poets, Walt Whitman's sacrificial charity during the Civil War may be his greatest legacy. But we can also be thankful he was a writer, although he once claimed that the real war will never get in the books. Walt Whitman's diaries, letters, poems, and memoirs constitute a powerful eyewitness account, a moving record of one man's mind and heart during this bloody chapter in the story of American history. And great job on that, Robbie, and thank you to Hillsdale professor Kelly Franklin for telling us about a great man and a part of his life so few people know. Walt Whitman's story, the story of the American Civil War, this is Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.